And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The presenting sponsor of the Audible is Trader Joe's. Bruce, what have you been eating from Trader Joe's lately? Well, it's a go-to for me, Stu, because it ups my repertoire for feeding the kids beyond uh, quesadillas and mac and cheese. So now they can have gnocchi and vegetable fried rice and all sorts of other really good frozen meals that are easy to prepare. Love the vegetable fried rice. Whether you're looking for snacks for game time, steaks for the grill at dinner time, or sweets for any time, check out your neighborhood Trader Joe's for the best values on the best tasting stuff every day. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman this lovely Monday morning. Is it just me, Bruce, or did it seem like half of college football all played their spring games this this past Saturday? No, I had the same feeling. It was pretty much everywhere you looked. It was one game after another. Sometimes the word game should be in parentheses because it was, you know, I watched a little of the Washington one, and it was more like what USC's was last week, which is kind of like a glorified practice with cameras around. But it's fun just to hear people talk about football, right? It's not just us all year round. And I'll tell you, at least a couple of the ones I watched, I'm not going to say they felt like real games, but you know, Nick Saban treats that thing pretty seriously. Georgia, not surprisingly, because where Kirby came from, takes that thing pretty seriously. Is that where you want to start? Let's start with the biggest attended place. It was a place I was at a week before, Nebraska. Are you feeling some love for Adrian Martinez now? Are you on the bandwagon? I am. So for people who don't know who that is, Nebraska holds their spring game. They're basically rotating three quarterbacks. And I I guess I was a little impressed, first of all, that they're already operating at a pretty fast tempo, given that they are transitioning from Mike Riley's offense to Scott Frost's offense. So the other two quarterbacks, they they were running the ball a lot, running the zone read. They were fine. They looked like they could handle that offense. Then Adrian Martinez comes in. It's like he's playing... PlayStation at a whole other level. Like he's he's fast. He is fast. Not only is he fast though, he doesn't he's he's an early enrollee kid who should be a senior in high school still. He's from the Fresno area. He actually didn't play last year. He was hurt much of much of the season, but you know, he had a shoulder injury. This kid doesn't look like a kid physically. He's pretty thick, pretty muscled up. You know, I got to spend a little time with him when I was in Lincoln. And he had been committed to Tennessee for a long time, and he had told me that if Tennessee doesn't make a coaching change, he's probably in Knoxville right now. I mean, he said he really just had a connection with the old staff and Butch Jones, and that was, you know, that was going to be that. Now, obviously, so uh, wait, what's the? It was portrayed at the time as Pruitt cut him loose. Is it the other way around? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess it's they did not have a great connection when they met when Pruitt came to visit him. So I don't know. I mean, he liked, he liked Tennessee. He liked Butch Jones when that switch made. Now it should be noted that Scott Frost and his staff at UCF offered uh, and recruited him pretty hard at UCF. He said, I didn't really feel a connection there, but when this whole staff moved over, he goes, you know, he just kind of fell in love with the place and was like, now this is a really good fit. He wasn't as comfortable at UCF. He is very comfortable in Nebraska. But I don't know if this opportunity would have availed itself if Tennessee doesn't make a coaching change. Now, that's not to say that, I mean, he could turn out to be, you know, Marcus Mariota. And I don't think that would justify in Tennessee folks' minds after last year. You don't you don't not make a coaching change, especially you know, who knows? We're, we're talking about him a lot for off of one spring game, but he is a very, very impressive kid, not just physically, but just in terms of, you know, his maturity. He does not seem like your typical 17 or 18 year old when you speak to him and all the things I heard about him. And I think everybody there is really excited about him. And it's and this is becoming a recurring theme with a lot of these teams. He's the quarterback of the future. It's just a matter of how quickly does he take over? How quickly can he learn the offense? 
frankly didn't get much of a read in that game of what kind of passer he is. He did have a couple nice throws. But also, I mean, let's just take a step back. Nebraska is not going to come out in the first year under Frost and look like UCF did last year. You know, they've got some some decent receivers. I think what they're lacking is a big play running back. I don't know if you agree. I agree. I do think their receivers are more than decent, though. I mean, I, I hit a bunch of schools this year. Their receivers, they have a top three that I think is pretty is, is just about as good as anywhere you'd find. Really? I mean, yeah, Strong family. words. Stanley Morgan's is, is a senior. He's I don't know six one two hundred from from Louisiana. He's a big time guy. He like, is. He, I think he would start at ninety five percent of the programs in the country. J D Spielman had a really good freshman year. He's a slot guy, a return guy. who's Rick Spielman's son and Chris Spielman's nephew. He's a, he's a stud. And then this other kid, and this is the one who I think is the breakout guy, is Tyjon Lindsay, former five star recruit. Just really wasn't ready for it last year. Kind of struggled with maturity wise. You know, when I was there, the staff talked about how he'd really opened up to them, and everybody around the program talked about how the lights come on. And he's a dynamic kind of make-you-miss in-space player that you would think would be perfect for this system. So I'm with you. I think the big the thing they don't have right now is a really dynamic running back. They have a few guys who played, and Trey Bryant, who's been productive, but Trey Bryant has had trouble staying on the field. Uh, injury-wise, so I, I don't know. You know, I guess it'll be running back by committee. They took a JC guy, Greg Bell, that had a pretty good spring, but I don't know. I mean, you're right. It was there was a gap year between they go from a, a winless to undefeated at UCF. I think they were six and seven that first year. My guess is they would be this Nebraska group will be something like that in 2018. But man, there's a lot of reason for optimism, and the fans are buying in, as you could see with that that, that attendance there. Yeah, this is the most excitement surrounding Nebraska football since, honestly, I think probably since the first season when they joined the Big Ten. You know, that was a really big deal. And then Bo Pelini would continue to win, go about 9-4-ish and four-ish from there, mm-hmm. but it just didn't feel like there was buzz about Nebraska football like there is right now. Now, is, does they do they maintain that buzz if he comes out and goes 6-6 six and six the first year? I don't know. But I think... You know, one thing I used to say for years is that they were lacking an identity. Like, what is the identity of Nebraska football post triple option? And I think they have that now with the basically trying to become the Oregon of the Midwest. So I'm excited for that. They might be a little further off than some of the other programs we're going to talk about. Alabama and Georgia are kind of linked in my mind right now for a couple of reasons. Three reasons. One, they played in the national championship game. Two, they both have quarterback controversies of some degree. I'd say they're not exactly the same. And three, the All-American just hired beat writers for both of those teams, Seth Emerson for Georgia and Aaron Sells for Alabama. So they're on my brain right now. Who do you want to start with? Let's start with the defending national champs. Let's start there. As you mentioned, as we talked about a few times this offseason, and we'll probably talk about a lot more as we get closer to the year, they have an interesting quarterback dynamic because of the way the year ended with Tua Tonga-Vailoa coming in the second half and rallying them. Where are you right now? Because I feel like if I asked you every every other podcast, you're feeling on who's going to be the starter and who's going to have the job by the end of the year. I feel like is went from Tua definitively. Are you back in the Hurts camp or no? Well, let's not forget that last week, two days before the spring game, Matt Hayes from Bleacher Report puts out a big Jalen Hurts story and in it, his father is quoted as saying, and most of the story is about how, you know, don't write this guy off. He's he's fighting to keep the job. And Matt asks his dad, well, what happens if he does lose the job? And his dad says quite bluntly, he, well, he would become the biggest free agent in college football history. So I think we always knew it was a possibility that he might transfer. That kind of made it seem like, well, if he that it's a definite if he loses the job. I think that... Nick Saban is going to find every opportunity possible to keep him happy, but you're delaying the inevitable a little bit. I mean, how do you how do you keep a guy on the bench who came out and won you the national championship game, who anybody with any... You don't even have to have much football IQ to notice that he's a much better passer than Jalen Hurts. I will say, watching the spring game, you're reminded that he's all the big plays he can make as a scrambler, and I don't know if we've really gotten a chance to see that from Tui yet. Tua played one half of one game. Let's not. We did. It. We did. We did see the scrambling though on that first drive. I think it was the first or second drive that 
he came into the game, you saw kind of that. I mean, is he jailing exactly on that dimension? No, but you see he's a threat. I mean, I keep coming back to everything you're said, and I know we've talked on this angle. It feels like the all-over part of Cardell and JT Barrett. It is. It is. It is, though, I think Saban will be more decisive about it. Uh, and maybe that decision is to play both of them. I don't know. But I don't think he's going to waffle. I don't think he's going to go back and forth all season, which is really the problem that Urban Meyer had at Ohio State. Now, there was a moment caught on Mike during that game. So Kirk Herbstreet and uh, Joey Galloway were color commentators, but they were standing on the field right behind Saban. So he was caught on the mic after a play where Jalen tucked it and ran instead of throwing it. He says, you hear him say to Herbstreet, this isn't coming from me. And then he says, two years, as in two years in the program, and he's still doing this, basically. He's still not comfortable. And then he laments that the third-string quarterback, Mac Jones, you know, he's driving the team right down the field. I think, reading between the lines, I think he was telling Herbstreet, you can't say I said this, but if you want to say it on the air, if you want to critique him here. Now, people make a big deal out of this. I'm guessing Nick Saban has a critical comment about a player on almost every play of every game. So I wouldn't write, write that completely as, uh, you know, as in the middle of the game. But it tells you that he shares the same frustration the fans do sometimes. That he hasn't, basically he hasn't progressed that much. He's still a guy who can tuck it and run and score a 30-yard touchdown against Clemson in the national championship game. But he doesn't, he can't throw the ball to win a game. I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how he handles this because I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what the we've we've seen Tua at his best and everything, but there is a level of consistency that you have to get from a guy and what you can what you can count on. I think, and I think right now we haven't we haven't seen that from the other guy. So, I think you can count on Jalen Hurts to beat most of the teams on the schedule. He has struggled against the elite teams in the playoff. Tua had that amazing performance. It was not without some freshman mistakes, including the play right before the game-winning throw. We haven't seen Tua take a team on the road. We haven't seen him follow up a big game with what is he going to do the next game. Like, I don't think it's... I think his talent is unquestioned, but his... Can he be trusted to run a team for the entire season? I don't... It's not 100%. We know that yet. No, I would agree. I would agree. I don't think it's a slam dunk and cut and dry. I mean, especially when you're talking about winning college games as opposed to, you know, we're talking about who's an NFL prospect. I mean, this guy was SEC Player of the Year two years ago in Hurts. So, and, you know, this is also not like, you know, what Alabama does. It's not like they're asking their quarterback to go out and throw for 400 yards a game. This isn't Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield. This isn't some, like, Mike Leach offense. So I, I remember a couple of years ago, they play in Baton Rouge, and it is a heavyweight slugfest. The only, I think the only reason why they won that game was because of Jalen Hurts' legs. Absolutely. He, you know, they were they were eating up the run game until he broke loose. He was a dimension. It's not to say that Tua can't present that, but I think sometimes people forget how good a guy is if he does some things that aren't maybe – the things that the NFL loves; those are little X factor things. And I, I, you know, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write Jalen Hurts off in this deal. There's also, and I do want to move to the next team, but there's a little bit of a roster management issue there, where they tried to sign a quarterback in this last class. They got kind of desperate. It seemed like nobody signed. So, if Jalen Hurts were to transfer either before the season or four games into the season, like Blake Barnett did a couple years ago, they would be down to two. And, yeah, to two scholarship quarterbacks, to Tua yeah. and Mac Jones, who came in the other day, unless they get a grad transfer. And they had, it should be noted, they had a grad transfer, all committed. Gardner Minshew, who had been the starting quarterback at East Carolina, he's a kid from the Deep South. He had told me that, you know, it was very compelling for the idea he wants to be a coach, could learn in Nick Saban, learn from Nick Saban. Maybe he wouldn't, you know, he knew it was a, the odds were really long against him ever winning the job. But that was appealing, and then Washington State reached out, and he knows he has a chance to, to, to win that job, and he also 
can learn that offense, which can be pretty desirable. Obviously, Mike Leach has a pretty extensive coaching tree as well, so he decided to go there. But that's a big concern for any program, especially when you're at the top of the food chain, if you only have two scholarship guys. You know, if you end up one, then you're down to one guy if the starter gets hurt. And we've seen it before where other, I mean, look, you turn on a Maryland game any year, they're often having to play the third or fourth scholarship quarterback by midseason. <laughs> it's true. They have a bit of a curse going on at that position. I remember, the, well, it was probably five years ago now, where they had to turn a linebacker into a quarterback. I do remember so that, yeah. 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 Um, it ha- it happens. It happens. You you do not want to have only two quarterbacks. So I think I think they find a role for Jalen. If he's not the starter, he'll be doing something maybe like Tim Tebow did as a freshman once upon a time. He will have to find a way to keep him engaged throughout the season. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, Bruce, let's tell people about our sponsor, Lisa. Stu, if our listeners want to get the best night's sleep they've ever had, they ought to do what we did and got our beds from Lisa. Uh, I know it's the best night's sleep I've ever had, and it's by far the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on at my home or at any hotel. Well, now you can get the most comfortable mattress that Bruce has ever slept on for $125 off at lisa.com slash audible. That's the deepest discount they've ever offered. Lisa.com, there's 11,000 plus five-star reviews. Lisa mattresses are loved by 300,000 happy sleepers and counting. And Lisa mattresses were designed to provide support and pressure relief to every body type and sleeping for a deeper night's sleep. So again, go to lisa.com slash audible and get $125 off the mattress of your choosing. That's lisa.com slash audible. Georgia has, here's Georgia's problem. They have two great quarterbacks. This is not a case where one guy can't pass. They have Jake Fromm who led them to the national title game as a true freshman and who is a really good passer. I think if he keeps playing for Georgia for the next two, three years, he will win. He will be the all-SEC first-team quarterback. But Justin Fields, the number one player in the country, early enrollee, you know, you saw in that spring game, and it is with the caveat that he's going against their second-string defense, a guy who can run and has a laser for an arm. And it's hard to imagine him staying on the bench for two to three years. Yeah, and I think this is a case where it's the guy's even more talented than Tua. He's a bigger guy. Uh, he's, I think he's every bit as talented as anybody we've seen come into college football at that position in a long time. To some extent, Georgia kind of kept the, kept the gloves on him in terms of, you know, he had third-team receivers and a bunch of freshmen on the O-line. And, you know, from what I heard from people, you know, inside the program, they really didn't cut him loose that much. And people are kind of wowed by his talent when he does something. Now, what's what I think should be noted, and I think it's relevant to, to uh, Alabama, we mentioned their schedule a couple of weeks back. If you look at Georgia's schedule, they may not play a top-20 team until Auburn in mid, mid-November. So, you know, for as much as there could be intrigue about Justin Fields, if you're rolling along and the guy, and you can do just fine with Jake Fromm. I don't know if they, you know, they're going to be quite as good as they were last year. You know, they lost a great player in the defense in Roquan Smith and a bunch of other pretty good, good players and two stud running backs. Um, you know, it might just be Jake Fromm's show because if Jalen Hurts played, kept playing and was leading that leading Alabama in the first half, we don't see Tua, and that just may be in case of you know fire don't break the glass around justin fields but uh jim cheney and kirby smart are going to have some interesting questions as this kid keeps getting uh more and more reps yeah i don't i don't know i don't know how they handle that because like i, I think i want to have jake Fromm out there i mean he I and mean, he threw an intercept pick six in the next spring game but I, you know whatever i would say with the, both he, he and Jalen hearts keep in mind that the defense they were going up against in the spring game most quarterbacks are going to struggle against. But uh, I don't know. The, the guy, you couldn't ask for much more from a true freshman last season. So as talented as the next guy is, I want that guy leading my team until unless he gets hurt or, I don't know, has some sort of regression and struggles too badly. You know, Now, if you're blowing teams out, Fields can get some significant time that way. But uh, I would be 
I would be very surprised if he just suddenly passes from uh, early in the season. Now, remember last year, Jake Fromm probably doesn't get the job if Jacob Eason doesn't get hurt. So you never know what will happen. I will ask you this. It sounds like you are more in the camp that come November, Tua has a much better chance of being the starting quarterback than Justin Fields will. Absolutely. For exactly why I said Jalen Hurts, for all the games he's won, is not a good passer. Jake Fromm is a very good passer, so it's a lot harder for the new guy to pass him. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I You know, I kind of agree with that, but just because Tua has, has actually done something more momentous in an actual game, having in the back of my head thinking Justin Fields may be even better than Tua, I don't know. I'm fascinated by both situations. You so. could redshirt him. And then he preserved, but I don't think he's going to go for that. So I also don't think when you have some of these kids who are this talented, they're more likely to be three and outs than five year guys. Right. While we're in the SEC, you were in Knoxville. Do you take anything from what happened on the field or in Jeremy Pruitt's comments basically to the fans and to his players? We put both on notice. I think Jeremy Pruitt is setting expectations for this coming season. He is. When you call out, I mean, the spring game is supposed to be a time of of uh, everybody's undefeated and everybody's just happy. And he says players quit during the game. And then he basically calls out the fans for not showing up more, even though there were, I think they reported 60,000-something fans were there, though some of the writers who were covering it said it probably wasn't quite that much. Can you really blame fans for not being totally bought in after the disaster of a season they just had? Like... Uh, I don't know. I think you need all the support you can get right now. However, maybe that call to action works. Well, you know what? It's not just a disaster of season they just had. Let's look about it like this. They have had a disaster of a decade. So if you're those fans, you, you know, maybe now they look back on Phil Fulmer's tenure, obviously with a little more reverence than they did at the tail end when it was like, you know, anybody who'd been there for a long time, whether it's, you know, anybody short of Nick Saban after it's six, 10, 15 years, they get tired of you. So they get Lane Kiffin. There's a ton of fireworks there. It's a lot of drama. They buy in. He bolts. They hate him. Then they get Derek Dooley. He wants to be there. They buy in. He stinks. They really hate him. Then they get Butch. You know, it's a different level of buy in. He makes a little more inroads. He seems like he's more entrenched. Yeah. Then he can't turn the corner. And then he says a lot of stuff that they do not, they're embarrassed by, then they hate him. So I'm going to give the fans a pass on this for, I don't know, because they they were also with, they they endured quite a shit show as it relates to their, their coaching search and a lot of other stuff around the program. So I give them a pass if they're not going to show up like the way the Nebraska fans showed up. Look, the, for a spring game. The former coach always caught flack for some of the stuff he said for being these ridiculous expressions and cliches. The new coach is basically going to be blunt, no-nonsense, that style. And it's just a matter of what do you prefer? You want somebody to come in and and be all cheery and rosy, or do you want somebody to just say it as it is? And, you know, it'll, it'll take some adjusting. But I think he's... I think there's no question he's trying to send the message that, like... This will not be an immediate fix. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you got you got a little a bit of that as well in your time there, right? It was just like, it wasn't like he's, it, it, when you said it on the podcast, it, it, when, when we were taping this, it didn't resonate until after. I was like, I was like, wow, he actually hasn't said anything about one specific player. I know. That's almost impossible to do for a football coach. I mean, I think it tells you that he's he wasn't all that excited about the players. Now, there's going to be other reasons for doing it, and he did eventually mention. I noticed the first time he mentioned players by name, in a press conference was to say which ones have changed positions. So it wasn't like this guy's doing great. They have players. They have some players. Marquez Galloway, yeah. Trey Smith, Juwan Johnson, if he comes back to the team, receiver. They have some, and they expect him to. They have a couple of like promising young running backs. I don't look, Jerry Quarantano has talent. I, I mean, he's more talented than I think than a handful of guys who may be uh, starting at Power Five programs. Well, I think like that was a scrub. One thing that people definitely came to realize in that game is that he's the guy. Not, that there's no real competition between him and the redshirt freshman whose name escapes me. Or, Will no, he's McBride. A sophomore. Will, Will McBride. McBride. Now Keller Chris coming in from Stanford may supplant both of them, but 
that's how things are going on Rocky Top. Let's see who we who we hit next. Do you want to come out and see my spring game that I went to in person, or do you want to like slow? slow yeah, slow please, again? by all means. People may be getting sick of the SEC back to back to back here. Tell us all about the 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 juggernaut that Chip Kelly has on his hands at UCLA. Well, he's got his work cut out for him. So the spring game basically was two quarters. It wasn't any of the up-tempo stuff. The one thing was quarterbacks were live. Chip Kelly is big on that. So, you know, there is not much there right now. The, I'd say the most talented player in the program, Jalen Phillips, is a is a edge rusher. He was out the spring with an injury. They have a couple of DBs who are okay. But just skill talent-wise, there's really nothing to get excited about if you're a UCLA fan other than if I'm a if I'm a true freshman who signed for that team, I'm looking at it going, they are going to lean on me. If I am ready, if I learn this system fast, I'm going to play a lot because they need the help in a big, big way. And I think that's that's obvious when you just watch them. They are just just very, very underwhelming athletically. They're adding Wilton Spate, who is a two-year starter for Michigan. He was Decent his first year as a starter and not very good last year. People look at it and go, well, what's, it's an odd fit. You know, you'd think you want Marcus Mariota. You'd think you'd want somebody a lot more dynamic. Wilton Spade is like the size of a, of a tight end and doesn't run much better than, a, you know, an offensive tackle. But as Chip Kelly went off to the NFL, I think there's a lot of stuff he kind of absorbed from there that I think they know if this guy can be efficient and accurate he may be their best option. We'll see, because they have a true freshman coming in who has not arrived yet from Las Vegas, who's a really talented kid, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who fits in with what you'd think from Chip Kelly would want from his offense. But again, he's a true freshman, and he's not even there yet. So lots of questions. When you look at this schedule, I will say this, because I went back and looked at it over the weekend, there's a chance this team may not win more than four games. I mean, that's... Like it could be really rough if you look at the personnel. Unless these freshmen really come in and light the place up, there's a chance this team will will have, may not get to a bowl game. I mean, because I I don't think the cupboard was left very well stocked here. Who has a better record in his first season, Chip Kelly or Jeremy Pruitt? You know, I'm gonna say maybe Jeremy Pruitt. They have one one more non-conference game, or being UCLA. I'm sorry. No, Tennessee obviously has four non-conference games. I think for that, that to me gives them a little bit of a better chance just because it's a cupcake you can throw in. When you look at UCLA, I mean, they opened with Cincinnati. Cincinnati was really bad in, uh, in Luke Fickle's first year. I think they can win that. But then you look at the rest of the way, they play at Oklahoma. Baker or no Baker, they're probably going to get drilled there. Then they play a Fresno State team that won double digits last year. Colorado is a winnable game, but it's on the road. Washington, they won't win that. Cal is a winnable game, but that's on the road. You know, I would say their three easiest opponents that they play in in the conference are all on the road. Cal, Colorado, and ASU. I mean, I don't think there's a game. I'm not sure that there's a game they're going to be favored in, the possible exception of Fresno and Cincinnati. So, well... That's setting the bar awfully low. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I just read the schedule to you. I mean, it's that's not good. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with your assessment of their talent level. So, and they play a hard schedule. So, yeah, I, I think, I don't. I would be surprised if they go to a bowl game in his first season unless maybe Dorian Thompson-Robinson comes in and is just, an absolute stud and makes play. I don't know. Maybe he, he could make that effect. Speaking of, now look, both- I mean, yeah, there are games where, you know, they could, they could definitely surprise Utah. And it's not like, you know, some of these other teams are, you know, by the end of the year when they're rolling in that system, yeah, they could definitely, you know, knock off an Oregon on the road or an Arizona state. But I just uh, look at it and go, man, this, this is going to be a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Because when you see the players in person and then you look at the schedule, like, oof, you know, it's not, uh, this is going to be a heavy lift. You mentioned Wilton Spate, the grad transfer coming in from Michigan. And coincidentally, just last night, I watched the first two episodes of the Michigan docuseries on Amazon Prime. It is very well done. It is, uh, they must have spent a lot of money on it because it's a very high production level. 
So it covers preseason camp. The opener against Florida was a, you know probably the biggest focus, and through the second game against Cincinnati. Will and Spade, if you may recall, throws two pick sixes in the game in Dallas against Florida, gets benched. Then he has a kind of a ho-hum game against Cincinnati. So he's a big focus of this. And I guess this is a long way of saying I'm not surprised that he would have wanted to get out of there because you can tell that Harbaugh's not a huge fan of his or John O'Corns for that matter. He's very hard on himself, I will say. He kind of beats himself up after every bad throw. But I will give this to Wilton Spade. He's a good leader. During that Florida game in particular, even the next game, he's the, you know, go into the huddle and fire the guys up after a bad play, and they definitely respond to him. So is there something to be said for if another guy doesn't stand out, at least you've got a guy with a veteran presence and leadership who could help with this first year under Chip Kelly? We'll see. Like I said, it's uh, if the freshman doesn't come in and, and – get it cranked up i think there's a lot of people looking at it and going oh, this is kind of a curious fit but they don't have much there right now i will tell you that okay let's go lightning round because uh, i want to get some emails a few other schools had their spring game saturday lsu what do you got big questions at quarterback still justin mcmillan who a lot of people had written off they looked at the other two guys miles brennan and lowell narcisse especially miles brennan being the guy uh, justin mcmillan was the most impressive one he's a he's more of a dual threat guy. He looked much more comfortable and confident. One big positive for them, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He is probably their best option at running back. He's a local kid. He's about 5'8, 205. Ojeron had told me he kind of has some, and he didn't say he would be this good, but he said he has, uh, reminds him in style a lot of Maurice Jones Drew. He's a tough kid. He's a hard runner. He's got good balance. He gives them an option. We'll see what, what else they have. I think they're going to be actually very good on defense. But if you, they don't have a quarterback, you know, against that schedule, I think they're going to be a, maybe a seven-win team there. Texas. Seems like it's going to be another year of back and forth between Shane Bichelle and Sam Ellinger. Yeah. What's your expectation on them? Do you think year two is going to bring more than eight wins for Texas? It's not like that, con- that conference is kind of more wide open than it has been with both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State losing veteran quarterbacks. I'm tempering my expectations because I'm frankly sick of going into every year being like, this is the year that they take the big jump and then they don't. You know, it's it's tough to say because on the one hand, usually coaching change, year two, more guys are bought in, everybody understands what they need to do. He obviously is bringing in a great recruiting class. So there's that. But also, most of their best players from last year's team are gone now. So, I mean, they're kind of starting over at some of the positions other than maybe... Uh, receiver, they got a pretty good receiving core, and the, now they lost their best DBs too. You know, it's it's. I don't want to say they take a step back, but I don't know how much they're actually going to improve in the win total. Well, they do have a good, you know, defensive line. They lost Puna Ford, but I think, uh, you know, they have Hager, Charles Amena, who's a really talented player. I think those guys will get after the quarterback. I think they, you know, with Todd Orlando there, I think they're still going to be very good on defense. It's just the question is going to be as you said, quarterback play. And the other thing is, when Charlie was there, they had a stud running back. I don't know what they've got right now there. It's weird for Texas not to have that. We They went a decade without producing a, a draftable uh, offensive lineman. That's going to end this year. But do they have, and I think the old line has continued to get better, but do they have a feature running back that they can kind of lean on? I don't know. Notre Dame, are you ready for the Ian Book era? Is that what it's going to be? Are we? You've given up on Brandon Winbush? Almost. I thought he had a really good spring. Almost. I've almost given up on Brandon Winbush. But I also don't know that Ian Book is necessarily the answer either. We've seen him in limited doses. It's eerie how they, they played LSU in a bowl game twice now in just like the last four years, I think. And the last one, they beat LSU and Malik Zaire saw more action than he had to that point. And he became the future. And then this time it was uh, Ian Book throwing the game-winning touchdown to Miles Boykin, who yeah. is now – that seems to be the guy that's getting the most buzz coming out of spring camp, Brian Kelly, reaffirming he's their new number one receiver. Well, he had a great uh, – he had a, a great bowl game. He came through with a, a, in a really impressive catch and run at the end. And look, 
you know, that was a much, I think, that was, you know, that was a Dave Aranda defense that they that they got the best of. It wasn't like it was a blowout game, but it was still, I thought that was an impressive performance by him, and, and we'll see. Because in terms of just physical tools, Brandon Winbush is, is, is right up there with anybody, I think, who's playing college football now in terms of can really run, strong arm, smart kid. Let's see if he can put it together in, you know, year or two with, uh, with Chip Long there. I mean, we got a mailbag question literally just a couple weeks ago about this, and you admitted that you're starting a sour on Wimbush. Yeah, I, I was, a lot of it was coming from watching that bowl game, you know. So, But it, sometimes it's not fair to write a kid off after his first year as a starter, especially in his first year and with an offensive system. I mean, that's not easy to just go in your starter, but it's also it's a new system. And it wasn't like they had a ridiculous – core of uh of receivers now they did have a, a, a an outstanding offensive line and a good running back behind him but or a good stable of running backs so we'll see i mean i'm not writing Wimbush off maybe i'm on that side of it uh i know you didn't watch much of the washington game but uh are you with me do you think the huskies are going to go to the playoff this year i'm very very high on the huskies i thought it was more it wasn't even really a game though it wasn't. I mean, I watched, it was basically, it was a glorified practice. Now, there were some elements of a game, but it was basically like watching a televised practice, much as what uh, the Pac-12 Network did for USC the other day. Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin, some good young receivers, and what should be a really good defense. We'll see how good the uh, rec- receivers are, because they may. I think they're going to be counting on some freshmen to come in. One thing that, uh, that I think might surprise some people, and this is just for me, you know, I know from talking to a lot of the Washington folks last week. Um, they have four quarterbacks, including Jake Browning, that everybody like, whoa, you, you know, you got one guy who's sitting out, Jacob Eason, who was a former five-star guy, and then you got two incoming freshmen who are already there who are big, strong kids who are highly touted. Yet the number two guy is the guy you go like, wait, is that guy a walk-on? And that's Jake Hayner, who's a, uh, who's a redshirt freshman who's about six feet, 185 pounds, but they really like him, and from the guys I talked to said he was one of the most impressive guys they've had this spring and they open with Auburn. So that should be a big one for the PAC 12, especially because the PAC 12, as we both know, took a beating perception wise. If they can go across the country into Georgia in that quote unquote neutral site game and beat a team that was at one, you know, that beat both, both uh, title teams, title game teams. I think that would be a big, sta- be a big statement for, the Huskies. I think that's the best opening weekend game. I know that Michigan Notre Dame is more glamorous and will get more attention, but you're talking about two. Probably, I think they'll both be in the top ten preseason. I think they both are on the playoff short list. Um, and I think, even though Washington made the playoff two years ago, and I believe one, they went to the Fiesta Bowl last year. There's still a bit of a prove it feeling around the country about the Huskies, and I think beating an SEC team in Atlanta would be a, a moment for him. I'm thinking of the time that Chris Peterson went there with Boise in this ex- same game and just trucked a really good Georgia team with uh, Kellen Moore. I think it might have been Kellen Moore's last season. Mm. What do you say we do some mailbag? All right, let's get to it. As always, you can send the emails to audiblepod at gmail.com, and this first one this week is... Juicy, to say the least. A lot of yes. potential, a lot of fodder here. You want me to read it? Go ahead. It's from Clint Harrod Jr. Hey, Stu and Bruce, let's combine the two most overrated topics this time of year, NFL draft and conference realignment mailbag questions, into the ultimate offseason question. If the conferences were completely disbanded and all that was left was the Mandel Conference and the Feldman Conference, and you had two commissioners, and you two commissioners were, were to have a draft, what would the top 10 schools selected be? What would your most important reasoning be? TV market size, national following, current success, potential for future success. And let's act like the other sports don't exist, which is kind of how Bruce feels anyway. Um, <laughs> because that's exactly how all the real power brokers thought between 2010 and 2020. This is a good question. I cut uh, off the last part of that. It was, but he said between 2010 and 2013. Okay. Uh, it's a great and, uh, question. It so is a great question. We're going to do a you, draft. Yes. We both have have uh, worked very hard to craft our lists. I have about 20 teams, I guess. Is that what you have? No, because I know we're only selecting... I, well, we're selecting 10 total, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do we decide who has the first pick? 
I'm going to give you the first pick. Oh, that's funny. I was going to give you the first pick. And then do we do whoever has the first pick, then the next person gets the next two, didn't we? I think. Uh, okay, I'm a going to. A couple years ago, we had a, a really. Didn't we devote a whole episode to a draft of the current. Oh, we did, player? yes. Yeah. So you're giving me the first pick? Yes. All right. I think I'm going to surprise you because I had a. I basically was split on these two, but I have a one and a one A. Mm-hmm. I'm going Ohio State number one. I think that's a smart move. I think they have the biggest national. In, in terms of the criteria, for me at least, it's basically who has the biggest following. I don't think TV households, in like for cable purposes, matter as much as they did five, ten years ago because that whole model is shifting. Potential for future success. I mean. We're only dealing with the top 10 programs in the country, so they all have potential for future success if they're not already having it. So you took Ohio State. I did, and the biggest thing I looked at was who draws the eyeballs when we do TV games. And I have to admit, since you know I've been doing games, I've become much more cognizant of it. We do an Ohio State game. We do like some of the heavyweights in the in the Big Ten. You know, we had a seven and a half hour Michigan State Penn State game. That was an entertaining game when it was played, but that got four million people, and that was a big jump from what we were doing. You know, in two thousand sixteen and fifteen. So, Ohio State is my number one pick. I assume I know who you're going to take number two. Yes, I'm going to take Alabama, who okay. is also a huge TV draw. There's a little bit of a risk in that. When the inevitable day comes and Nick Saban retires, they could have a big drop-off. But I feel like they are such a dominant force in this sport at this point that they will they will continue to be heavily watched for many, many, many years to come. Agreed. Uh, are we doing a snake draft where you get the next pick? We are. And so for that pick, I would like, and this is going to bug people, Notre Dame. Okay. I mean, Notre Dame is <clears throat> recession-proof. You know, they haven't really been... They haven't been at Alabama's level in 25 years, and they still are a huge national draw. We just mentioned how the the biggest game of Week 1 will be Michigan-Notre Dame, and neither of those teams were playoff contenders last year. So they, they well, that's not true. Notre Dame was a playoff contender until early November. But you know what I mean. I mean, they, they're not. There are many programs I could rattle off right now that you would say from a football perspective would be smarter choices than Notre Dame. But again, I'm going totally national dollars, dollars. TV, TV eyeballs, yeah. Dollars, yeah. You know what? That's that was this. so. Our top three were all the same. My number four pick is USC. It's uh, they obviously have great history. Now, I think somewhat it it hinders them with who they play. Sometimes they may play an opponent that may never they may not get the eyeballs. But when they played Texas, and it wasn't like Texas was great, people were going to tune in. It's obviously in a big market. And I just think I had a toss-up basically between USC and this next school, which I think you may take, which is another blue blood. But I went with USC just because I thought they were a differentiator regionally compared to I already picked Ohio State. So if I pick the other school, I feel like I'm not getting quite as much geographically as if with, with me having USC also. It's interesting. One thing that neither of us is really bound by here is geography. Like these are not traditional conferences. And – it kind of is what we're doing right now is basically what I wrote about, I think last year, or maybe the year before of what I think could be a potentially much more radical realignment where the biggest name schools break off and form a premier league, if you will, of college football, which is basically what we're doing right here. Um, wait, you get another pick. I get another pick so I can then take Michigan. Oh, that's who I was going to take. Man, we are right on the same wavelength here. Yeah. So Michigan, much for similar reasons to Ohio State. It's another. It's obviously another big traditional brand, and people tune in. Their fan base is, is enormous, and that has been so for a long time. It obviously helps that Jim Harbaugh's raised their profile back up. Now they haven't won quite like the way uh, a lot of us had expected they would have by now, but I don't think they're going away. So that would be my number three pick. My number three pick is Texas. Um, even though they haven't been particularly good for seven or eight years now, for the same reason that ESPN invested so heavily in them, you know, when they are when they are rolling, it is a massive, massive fan base. It is a national brand program. It's a state you want to be in. Next one may or may not surprise you. Penn State. Penn State went through a period of about fifteen years where I felt like the brand had been sullied a little bit and that 
like the latter Paterno years, they were just nobody took nobody really considered them from a football perspective to be a national power anymore. And so I started to feel like the luster was was they were losing the luster a little bit the way Nebraska had. And then all it took was a couple good years with James Franklin to remember, oh yeah, when Penn State is doing well, I mean you mentioned that one game you guys had, like yeah. they are yeah. they 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 have they did draw huge eyeballs on TV. Um, and I think that they're going to be in the mix again for the foreseeable future. Okay. I have, and this one's actually higher than I had Penn State. I have Georgia. A lot of it has to do with the momentum the program has. It also the momentum of the, the football talent that is getting produced in the state in recent years also increased my thought on that. So I'm adding Georgia. Um, and then this other one is a, was a toss-up between now two schools because Penn State was one of my three. I'm going to take Florida State. And, you know, it comes back to they've traditionally been a good ratings draw. The program has has obviously had success, won a national title recently. I think you, you're always going to get players there. There's a persona to it. You know, when I looked at it between it was Florida State, Penn State, and Miami, and I just went Florida State there just because I feel like they have had more success more recently than than the other two have. You just betrayed your alma mater. Because now you can't add Miami. You're done. Yeah, I know. And you took their arch rival. They're going to disown you. Uh, The Georgia pick was interesting in that (laughs) it's been an eternal um, you know, thing I've run into with the Georgia fans who are ticked that I didn't include them among the it's either 12 or 13 King programs. I've always said they were close to being in that top tier, but not quite there yet. You've basically cemented that they are by having them among our first eight teams off the board. For my last one, now this is actually tough. I wish I had two more picks so that I could take both of these teams. Uh, It's a debate between Florida and Nebraska. Nebraska, I mean, we've talked at length, Scott Frost, we think they could get things rolling. But we've also talked about how I'm not sure that program with any coach is going to be able to win national championships going forward. So give me Florida, who has won two in the last, what, 12 years and represents a huge state, a huge fan base. And whether they get it going with Dan Mullen or not, I think they will always be a big draw. And you have one more pick? No, that's five each. Ten. That's five each. Okay. We keep going, I suppose. He didn't. No. Um... So, also on my list of options, I had, after Miami, I had Clemson, Oklahoma, Washington. This next one, the only reason why I had them on there was just because of the head coach, and that's TCU. Hmm. Why didn't either of us take Oklahoma? That seems like an omission. Uh, I think the AP a couple years ago did a thing that they've been in the, they've been in the poll the most of any program, I believe. I just thought it was from a TV rating standpoint. And Oklahoma I doesn't wrong. perform? Not to the level of some of these other places you're talking about. Like I, I mean, there's a big difference between what Oklahoma does, certainly in Oklahoma State, ratings-wise. But I didn't think it was quite at the, at the same level as some as the you know those heavyweight Big Ten programs we just we were talking about. Well, if I got one more pick, I was going to take Nebraska, and then I just kind of assumed that at that point you would jump on Oklahoma, but it sounds like you wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I mean, I think they were a little further down my list. And that's it's not to say on the field, because I think Lincoln Riley has really, you know, rejuvenated that program. But just, I just didn't, uh, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, For the most part, we were kind of thinking the same, but I definitely would have rather had Oklahoma than Georgia. I mean, it's just, they've been doing this at this level for, for longer. But I think you're making a little bit of a bet on Kirby Smart there, and I can't totally blame you. I think I'm making more of a bet also, though, that just like the talent that's constantly around there to infuse it. Because, I, I mean, if you ask me who do I think is a better coach, I'm not sure I think Lincoln Riley's not a better coach than Kirby Smart or they're comparable. Mm-hmm. They're both obviously young and it's their first full head time, you know, head job. But I just think that Georgia is a better position maybe just in terms of the talent around them. But both obviously have really rich football histories and passionate fan bases i just think that maybe there's a bigger footprint there maybe i'm wrong i don't know you know miami real quick i feel like for a long period there 
they they were one of those schools that no matter what their record was on the field, people still tuned in. And then at some point they lost that. And I don't know when and I don't know why, but you know, they had their first really good season in a while last year. I was looking up for there was a question in my mailbag last week about the Pac twelve and and Larry Scott and I pointed out that, you know, even when the Pac twelve does get good time slots, they don't do particularly well on T V. There's just not as much interest right. in their product. And in the course of that research, I looked up how their championship game did uh, compared to others. This is actually a long way of getting back to the ACC. (laughs) Last year, on the last Saturday night, you had two games head-to-head against each other. Ohio State-Wisconsin, both of whom were playing for a spot in the playoff or possibly a spot in the playoff, and Clemson against Miami. And that was actually a play-in game. And that Big Ten one crushed it, did like three times as much audience. So... You would, if Miami were one of these programs we're talking about, you would think they'd have a lot more appeal. Having said that, though, Stu, I should point this out to you. Do you know which bowl that was not affiliated with the playoff had the highest rating? Say that again? Which non-playoff game had the highest rating of all the, of all the bowls? The Holiday Bowl? No. No. The Foster sadly, Farms Bowl? Sadly, as Fox people, I can't say that. Uh, no. It was by far, in a way, it was the bowl Miami played in. Miami, Wisconsin had 12 million viewers. Oh, I thought we were, I'm sorry, I thought you meant non-New Year's Six. Although that surprises me, too, that it wasn't Ohio State-USC. No, Ohio State-USC had 3 million, well, it was a little, little more than 2 million less. And Penn State, which is a big fan base in Washington, which is a really compelling matchup, had 1.5 million less. Notre Dame and... LSU, which is a you know a huge fan base and a pretty big fan base, had well over three million less. The thing that that tells me most, and same with that Pac-12 example, people college football fans still have an aversion to watching on Friday night. Because to me, if you switch them, and the Ohio State USC game was on Saturday night, and the Miami Wisconsin game was on Friday night, Ohio State USC would have crushed it because those are two now, huge brand name teams. Now, what also might have helped it, I think, it just from knowing the TV business a little bit, is the Miami game did have the Penn State-Washington game as a lead-in. And lead-ins do matter, especially when it's something like that, where it's the same sport. But I, like I said, I did think that was uh, was noteworthy. Uh, you want to move on to the next question? I do. Let me ask you this, since it may be, it's maybe closer to me than you. So, Stu, I noticed, it feels like every time I log on Twitter some morning, there's some new SEC writer who is saying, I'm proud to announce I've joined Stu's team. How are you pulling all this off? It's very hard, but we're finding great talent. We've got David Ubbin, Seth Emerson, and Aaron Suttles on board so far. But it's always a challenge to find great talent and to do it in a way that's not inefficient. So ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. And in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. So, right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free, Bruce. Free! Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B, as in the audible Stu Bruce. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. From Shamil Owens. What's up, fellas? Let me preface this by saying I'm a Comcast subscriber and resides in Atlanta. Was super pumped to the tune to tune in this past weekend to see the Buckeye Spring Game. But to my disappointment, I could not find the channel. After further research, I found out that Comcast had removed the BTN from the non-Big Ten states. Can you share any insight on this decision? Does ESPN drop the SEC network from reasons outside the southern footprint? So I'm sorry you had to find out that way. This was actually in the news a week or two ago that, yes, Comcast, you know, I guess contracts were expiring and they just decided there's not enough interest in the Big Ten network outside those states. They just dropped it. And that was a bit shocking because we think of the Big Ten as flexing all this muscle in the TV game. And no, ESPN has not. Well, it wouldn't be ESPN's decision to drop the SEC network from regions outside the southern footprint. But So much of this in TV is about contract. When do contracts come up and negotiating tactics? So it's hard to say how much it was just lack of interest and how much of it was creating leverage and negotiating ploy from Comcast when, for instance, 
your guys at Fox deal comes up because BTN is part of the Fox uh, company of networks and same with Disney with ESPN those channels usually all come up at the same time so I don't know what all the details are but at some point soon there's probably a larger negotiation to be had and maybe you know they agree to better more favorable terms and BTN comes back at that point but I don't know I was pretty surprised by it I'm not doubting that there's not as much interest in the other states but I mean they, they show some good football and in particular basketball games like I if you're a college sports fan, I would think you, you know, unless you just have no interest in the Big Ten, I would think you tune in from that from time to time. Yeah, I would, I would too as well. Though it's only available, I should add, you know, if you live in Atlanta, you're probably paying extra for some sort of sports premium tier that that comes on. So it's not like, I think the the number of house households in non-Big Ten states that actually get that channel is probably not that high because you have to kind of opt in for it. Yeah. Uh, Bruce and Stu from Mike in Houston. As an Arkansas fan, I was positive that Bobby Petrino was going to build Louisville into an absolute powerhouse by now. I was sure that we'd see them in the playoff and that Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville were turned into the Alabama, LSU, and Arkansas of 2011. The program he built in an absolutely loaded division in Arkansas was impressive, so I figured he'd be able to do so much easier at Louisville with a seemingly easier conference landscape. Am I just, underestim- am I just underestimating how tough the ACC is or giving too much credit to Petrino as a coach. Uh, I think people underestimate how, how much talent there is in the ACC. To me, it's really that as much as anything. I mean, look where look look what Clemson has. Clemson, talent-wise, matches up with anybody, including Alabama. So, and Florida State has a ton of guys. And it was a down year last year, but I think that was going to be fluky and a bit of an aberration. So, when you the top of your league is like that, I think that's a factor. Now. Are you know are some of the other programs the BCs the Wake Forest the Syracuse that's a little suspect but I just think the top of it is legit and I think that he's doing exactly what I thought he would there it's um, he's he's a fantastic offensive coach he's not a great recruiter they're not playing with the same deck of cards as Clemson and Florida State but yet not last season but the year before Lamar Jackson's Heisman season. You know they were they crushed Florida State. They were right there on the road with Clemson. They had a really good season until the last two weeks of the season. So, and that's exactly what he did at Arkansas. He meant he references that 2011 season, and I remember it well. Going into Thanksgiving weekend, the top three of the BCS standings was one LSU, two Alabama, three Arkansas, and Arkansas played LSU that weekend, and LSU smoked them. Arkansas under Petrino won 10 or 11 games two years in a row which is great, but they couldn't quite solve Alabama, LSU, the teams that were clearly more talented than them. And I think that's his ceiling at Louisville, too. Like I don't think he's going to unseat those programs, but he can get you 10 win seasons, New Year's Six. I, those are realistic expectations there, I would think. Lastly, you remember we got a question. No, it wasn't even a question. I was telling you about Clemson, my visit there, mm-hmm. and how they could have a historically great defensive line. We started trying to spitball historically great defensive lines, which is not an easy thing to do off the top of your head. Well, Derek A. Johnson has a pretty good nominee here. He suggests 1995 Nebraska's defensive line. All of the starters were eventually drafted. Jason Peter and Grant Wistrom in the first round. Jared Tomich in the second round. And Christian Peter in the fifth, huh? I he was a really big name at the time. He had was some the issues. Disciplinary stuff? He had yeah. some serious off-field issues, yeah. And then Mike Rucker and Chad Kelsey, the backup D- defensive ends on that team, also got drafted but didn't need to start because the front four was so good. So, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good collection. What do you think? Uh, it is. I have two other nominees. So the, the group that I was trying to, you know, remember how they lined up was actually it was the 1989 Miami group, which I think is about as good as their – has been in a long time this is this is what they had so it was cortez kennedy who went with a third overall pick in the draft it wasn't just a first round pick he was you know top five russell maryland was the number one pick in the draft the year after this 1989 team jimmy jones who was a backup defensive tackle went in the third round and then the two defensive ends willis pegis and greg mark were also third-round picks. Greg Mark, by the way, and people remember him as a Miami defensive line coach, was a fantastic player. He was actually an All-American that year, 15-and-a-half sacks. It was a semifinals for Lombardi. In addition to that, as their backups were Shane Curry, who was a second-round pick. So it's a pretty deep group to have that six. 
The other group that I looked up, and this is this is legit because they were all in one draft, was 1980 Pittsburgh Panthers. They were led by Hugh Green, who was a monster player, 17 sacks, seven forced fumbles. He actually was a runner-up to George Rogers in the Hall of Fame in the uh, Heisman Trophy Ballet. The other defensive end was Ricky Jackson. He had 12 sacks, and he went into the NFL and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So obviously, those guys were, were monsters. Inside Jerry Borowski, he spent he was a fifth rounder, spent a decade in the NFL. Bill Neal spent a bunch of years in the NFL. Greg Meisner spent a decade in the NFL. A freshman who was really good on that D line, Bill Moss was the fifth pick in the draft a few years later, went to two Pro Bowls, and another guy who spent a while in the NFL, Dave Pizzoli. So, by the way, once that was not around that staff, he was at Oklahoma State at that time, in case you were wondering. I was wondering. I was wondering if we could have on the coach of that great defensive line. It sounds like that's going to happen. He was the coach. He was the defensive coordinator of that Miami defense, though. So we should have him on again. People, every so often, are like, when's Wanstead coming back on? Yeah. Yeah, by the way, uh, so I ran into Paul Rhodes recently, and he was a former Wanstead assistant at Pitt. He's now at UCLA. Does the best Dave Wanstead imitation of anybody I've ever heard. Maybe we'll have him on, too. I was thinking we might be able to find an all-timer from Florida State, all-time defensive line. But I'm not – I mean, there's some fantastic, you know, Andre Wadsworth and Peter Bulware, but it doesn't, I'm not seeing any years where they had, like, three or four guys taken within – or within a couple year span. So those ones you mentioned were awesome. So was the Nebraska one. I will say that Clemson, um, we're doing these state of the program mm-hmm. you know, some articles there. That's a lot of work and a lot of research. So I'm pretty versed in Clemson right now because I'm doing theirs. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they would replicate what, uh, what this 95 Nebraska team did. One first rounder, one second rounder, one fifth rounder, and then two backups that got drafted. They could match or eclipse that, I think. Hey, well, like I said, this other one, the, the 89 Miami team, had, had a first pick in the draft and a third pick in the draft. That's going to be – that I don't see happening unless it's like – because, you know, the Clemson guys that came back, Cleveland Farrell, Cleveland Farrell Austin Bryant, and Christian Wilkins, one of the re- – Davos Swinney said on signing day, one of the reasons they came back, yeah, they the- weren't projected as high as everybody assumed they would be. Right. So – you know, a couple, I don't think there's going to be Dexter Lawrence possibly, but I don't think there's going to be a top five overall pick in that group. I just think there'll be a couple first rounders, second rounder, fourth round type, maybe. Austin Keep in Ryan. mind too, Stu. This this should be a loaded D line class coming up in in a year because we got Ed Oliver out there. Mm-hmm. Bosa should be out. Rashawn Gary may come out. So anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I know we don't like to talk about the draft on this podcast too much. The draft is this week, so we'll probably this time next week have some thoughts about what happened from the college stand. It's always interesting after the fact to kind of look back. Like everybody else can analyze, you know, hey, did the Giants or the 49ers have a good draft? We'll come back on the podcast next week, probably on Monday, and analyze, huh, which colleges did it turn out were had more talent than we thought and vice versa. Yeah. All right. Thanks as always. Again, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review while you're there. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for 2018, Trader Joe's. We'd also like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. You can subscribe to my college football website, The All-American, by going to theathletic.com slash theaudible, where you get a 25% discount and a seven-day free trial. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. You can follow me at SL Mandel. See you next time. We'll talk about it for years. Oh, yeah. Exchange. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.